And now, let me tell you something important. Cyber criminals are evolving. Their techniques and tactics are more advanced, intricate, and dangerous than ever before. Industries and governments around the world are fighting back, unveiling new regulations meant to better protect data against this rising threat. Today, the world of cybersecurity compliance is a complex one, and understanding the requirements your organization must adhere to can be a daunting task. But not when the pack has your back. Arctic Wolf, the leader in security operations, is on a mission to end cyber risk by giving organizations the protection, information, and confidence they need to protect their people, technology, and data. Their new interactive compliance portal helps you discover the regulations in your region and industry and start the journey toward achieving and maintaining compliance. Visit arcticwolf.com slash data science to take your first step. That's arcticwolf.com slash data science. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of uh, Amethyx Technologies based in Brussels City, Belgium. And uh, today I'm going to speak about Amethyx. <laughs> um, in fact, I'm going to speak about Rust. And uh, in particular, I would like to speak about a, uh, what has been our journey uh, to high performance and confidence in code at my company, Amethyx Technologies. And um, it's a pleasure for me to, of course, share um, what have been the challenges, of course, to migrate and to port existing applications and projects, especially commercial projects, which are the most critical ones, to a new language. Um, it's already two years ago uh, that we have done that. And um, it has been intense, I, I should say, but uh, as I will try to explain in this episode, is something that probably if you are uh, listening there and you are and you have a company or you have some sort of decision power uh, in in the company you work for, uh, I, I think you should pay attention to uh, to the content of this episode and in particular, of course, to the Rust programming language. To the risk of uh, sounding like I'm bragging, which I'm not, believe me, um, at Amethyx Technologies, we are dedicated to delivering the highest quality software to our clients. And that's pretty much the objective of many companies out there. There are amazing companies that uh, are also in our space. and. Uh, we don't even call them competitors. I mean, the, the ecosystem is so rich and so uh, diverse that uh, it's always good to have competition in a way uh, in, in a particular field. But uh, many companies out there and Amethyx are uh, also committed to uh, delivering the highest quality software. And uh, in order to achieve this goal, um, I recently undertook a significant migration uh, together with my colleagues, of course, of our existing projects to uh, Rust, as, uh, as I said. And uh, what is Rust, of course, we all know by now, we should know. Uh, we have dedicated a few episodes in the past on this show. Um, Rust is a systems programming language uh, that uh, promises better performance and improved safety uh, through focus on memory safety and concurrency. And, you know, I'm trying to oversimplify here. There is much more to say about Rust. Uh, and I highly recommend to um, download or listen again to the past episode. We have actually a series about Rust and machine learning, which seems to be very, uh, very successful back in the days. Um, it's already two years, in fact, that I'm speaking about Rust. And uh, it's already a bit more than two years that I've personally um, migrated even my knowledge, let's say, uh, from Python to Rust. And um, 
I currently refuse to work with Python. Uh, and that's something that, you know, uh, I had to do. I had to impose this to myself uh, just in order to dedicate as much time as possible to the Rust programming language. So it's kind of a, you know, a, a personal strategy that I used to, uh, you know, not get rid of Python. Python is an amazing language, of course. It's a, um, it's a completely different, it has a completely different objective than, than Rust and then lower level programming languages. It has been great until uh, new things come out and new, new requirements uh, come out and we need to fulfill. So I'm very excited to uh, share with you the journey of porting about 90% of the, of our existing projects to Rust. Uh, and believe me, that's a big number um, because 90%, you know, in fact, much less than that can be the core business of any company out there. So imagine taking the uh, let's say core business of a company and say okay you know what guys let's migrate this thing to a new programming language of of which we know pretty much nothing about um, and in you know three years ago uh, the the tools and the tool chain that trust uh, could offer were much less mature than of course uh, what we can find now and at the same time we also had a lot more maturity in all the other languages out there so imagine you know it's it's a huge risk that's what i'm i'm trying to say it's a huge risk um when things go wrong uh most of the time you stay non operative for at least 6 9 months and uh, that could mean uh, also killing your own company uh, in case you you need such a long period of no activity at all so risks aside, um, the journey of porting our projects to Rust, um, as I said, was intense. But uh, in hindsight, I can say that it was a decision that we made to improve the quality overall of all the entire software stack. Um, the migration was not an easy task. Uh, it required considerable amount of time and resources. Um, but as I say again, it was worth the effort as uh, we have seen significant improvements in uh, pretty much the, all the three pillars of software engineering, uh, software engineering which is uh, code reusability, code cleanliness, and of course, performance. Now, let's face it, porting is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> it's, it's just like trying to move a couch up a flight of stairs uh, without anyone helping you out. It takes time, it takes effort, um, and also a little bit of sweat to, to get the job done. So what is code reusability? Code reusability, for those who are not familiar with the uh, software engineering principles, is essentially like having a Lego set. Huh? You can take the, the pieces and you build whatever you want with them. And in the coding world, it means that we can use the same code for multiple projects without having to rewrite it every single time. And that saves us time and energy, which can uh, be focused on uh, the more important things, like, for example, uh, making coffee. <laughs> now, if there is one primary benefit that uh, we got from this uh, migration is indeed code reusability. Um, because Rust is a general purpose language that uh, can be used to write code for various applications. And this means that uh, we can reuse a lot of the code across all our projects, which saves us a lot of time and resources. Think about that when you have, when you're running commercial uh, environments or commercial projects in general, uh, it is very important that some of the, uh, let's say, basic blocks in terms of security, performance, are uh, reusable. 
um, because you don't want to reinvent the wheel all the time. So code reusability, in fact, is an essential feature uh, and an essential characteristic of a good uh, software engineering project uh, because it reduces a lot the, let's say, attack surface of your application uh, and also uh, reduces a lot the time um, to move forward, to move your application forward because, you know, the things that you have already spent resources and effort can be reutilized. Um, and Rust facilitates this very, very, very much. In addition to this, it also ensures consistency across projects um, because we can reuse the same code base, which leads to uh, better maintenance, better debugging, usually much faster debugging, uh, and also better maintenance because sometimes, unfortunately, fortunately, developers change and, uh, and so, you know, maintenance becomes uh, more kind of a human problem rather than a code problem. So uh, having reusable code facilitates a lot maintenance. That's what we definitely found. The second um, benefit uh, <clears throat> worth mentioning is definitely code cleanliness. And, and this is something I personally care of a lot because um, code must be clean. It's, uh, uh, you know, clean code is, is code that is, is much more readable. Uh, and again, it improves maintenance. Um, it's less prone to errors and bugs, even logical bugs. Uh, logical bugs are those that are like, you know, the application is just implemented in the wrong way. And spotting these, um, these logical bugs is much, much easier when code is clean. Another, another important thing is code homogeneity, um, which in my opinion is part of, you know, code cleanliness. Because before Rust and before this massive migration at Amethyx, we were dealing with different programming languages at the same time. So many times one project was made of, let's say, at least three different languages. If, for example, Bash can be considered a language, um, usually it's not. But we definitely had some C, some C++, some JavaScript or TypeScript, um, and definitely some Python. So, you know, we had some kind of... Uh, uh, a pool of languages and and the average developer had to know them all in fact you know if you wanted to touch uh, all the parts of the stack of, of that particular project migrating to um, one specific language whenever possible because that's something that is not always possible unfortunately um, reduces a lot the uh, let's say skills that you require from uh, a developer or whoever has to maintain that code. And so you can, you know, start hiring very specialized people. Um, people who have, for example, being exposed to one and only one language, usually, you know, they are supposed to know that language much, much better than those who are more generalists, let's say, in that respect. So uh, even though I believe that some good developers uh, do have, <laughs> can master multiple languages and usually do master multiple languages, but again, it's also a matter of, um, you know, it's part of the cleanliness uh, feature. It's part of that cleaning process, having just one language that um, allows you to read, read the code better, also optimize it better, and understanding in a much more predictable way uh, where are the, the drawbacks uh, and the pitfalls of that code. Hey there, let's talk about finding a job that's not just challenging, but also rewarding and fun. And if you're a software engineer looking to make an impact, then you'll want to hear about Bloomberg. 
They're building the world's most trusted information network for financial professionals, and they need engineers like you to join them. As someone who's been in the tech industry for a while, I know how hard it can be to find the right employer. But when I stumbled upon Bloomberg, I was blown away by their commitment to building a diverse workforce full of fresh perspectives. Any engineer looking for an appealing and beneficial career should consider Bloomberg. So why Bloomberg? Well, you'll be part of a team that builds tools to help the world's leading business and finance decision makers. You'll work with some of the brightest minds in the industry to develop solutions that are relied on by more than 350,000 financial professionals around the globe to make critical business decisions. And let's not forget that great engineers love a challenge. At Bloomberg, you'll solve complex real-world problems for customers across the globe capital markets, from real-time market data to sophisticated analytics, powerful trading tools, and more. Bloomberg engineers work with systems that operate at scale. Lastly, Bloomberg believes in using the right tools for the job. The majority of their software is built in C++, JavaScript, TypeScript, and Python. And Bloomberg engineers are active members of the open source community. So, if you are a software engineer looking for an exciting and fulfilling career, head over to Bloomberg.com careers to learn more. That's Bloomberg.com slash careers. And the last feature, well, I would say last but not least, because, it's, you know, it's performance. It's, it's like really having a fast car. Uh, now you can get from point A to point B in no time, uh, which is great when you're in a hurry or when you run out of coffee. <laughs> um, but in coding terms, performance means that uh, software simply runs faster and more efficiently. Uh, which usually translates, of course, to a better experience for the end user, but also less costs when it comes to, for example, software that is put in the cloud, or if you are using a cloud uh, infrastructure. Uh, well, in that case, uh, optimizing your code and having code that performs better than other uh, will save you a lot of money. Uh, consider that uh, if this code is running, this application, in fact, is running 24 hours, 7-7, 365 days per year, uh, you know, that can be even several dollars per hour or one dollar per hour. Uh, it's a lot of money. And that's an easy thing to measure uh, in, in a way because uh, many of the Rust applications that we have rewritten or many of the applications that we have rewritten in Rust uh, are definitely more performance than their Python equivalent, for example and putting them in a cloud environment uh, has saved us a lot of bucks, uh, which is always good. Now, there are also other projects in which, uh, for example, the um, criticality of the use case uh, demands performance. So it's something that, you know, it's not uh, negotiable. For example, if you're running critical systems, uh, communication modules, I will explain that later, but uh, stuff that goes on embedding, embedded devices, or um, autonomous vehicle and vehicles and uh, uh, military equipment, you know, all the critical um, use cases in which performance is a must. Well, in that case, of course, uh, Python is definitely not the way to go, except for prototyping things. But other than that, you don't really have many options. The options were uh, C and C++, of course, uh, but again, the feature and the capabilities of uh, 
the rust paradigm of uh, programming uh, which enforces safety uh, of course you know gave us a better choice in a way because um, if you deal with C, you definitely deal with good performance if you are good at writing C, of course, uh, but you expose yourself to, you know, these low-level nasty um, um, bugs like, you know, buffer overflows, memory violation, um, invalid memory, uh, double-free, invalid pointers, and, and, and safety in general, memory unsafety. Uh, not to mention performance and the confidence that the programmer reaches when uh, they code Rust. I personally found this, uh, you know, this applies to me personally. Um, the level of confidence that I had in dealing, for example, with the concurrent applications and services. Uh, when I was coding uh, in, in C, uh, even in Python where, you know, I let the interpreter and the, the, the module do the rest, um, so I didn't really have full control over uh, concurrency. Um, but in the case of C, I was always, you know, a bit skeptical that I would have done it, you know, right the first time. Um, and even when the application was, you know, battle tested and in production, sometimes it woke me up at night because, um, you know, C allows you to touch the hardware on a very low level and, uh, and at that level, Things can go very nasty uh, if you're if you're not uh, if you're not prepared. So in that case, uh, the level of confidence. This is kind of a soft um, quality or a soft metric that I use. Um, it's extremely important though because the level of confidence that a programmer has with respect to concurrency, if the compiler is supporting you, if the paradigm of programming is supporting the correctness uh, of a concurrent application, well, it becomes a pleasant surprise because uh, things relatively magically work uh, in a way. With this, I can definitely say that myself and the other developers in the team have gained this new level of confidence in general in their ability to write high-performance concurrent code, uh, which obviously has been invaluable to, to our company. So there are some, of course, use cases where um, I've seen Rust being the excellent choice um, at Amethyx. And one in particular is a co about communication modules for robotic applications uh, deployed in unreliable environments. And so in this sentence, I already mentioned probably three criticalities um, that are worth mentioning. Communication modules, you know, communication for robotic applications, that's also another very critical uh, scenario. In unreliable environments, that is environments in which anything can happen. For example, things can get disconnected or the network becomes unstable or unreliable in general. Um, temperatures go high and, and uh, devices fail. Um, so, you know, all these things can happen. And in these cases, you want a, a very reliable system overall and very reliable code. So these modules, are usually required to handle large amounts of data. Uh, and another constraint is operating in real time. So the two things that Trust provides are um, memory safety and low level control. And both these two things make it a reliable and efficient choice for building uh, communication modules. Um, so that was kind of the driver 
towards you know the decision to migrate to a language like Rust. Um, another area where uh, I've seen personally Rust excelling in uh, um, in its features um, and the deliverables uh, is building middleware and low-level message uh, exchange systems for uh, again autonomous vehicles and other and the same critical scenarios of uh, uh, that I just explained. Um, and again, high volume of frequent messages um, is exactly where you need a lot of concurrency. Uh, and also, you know, all these tasks must be performed uh, in a predictable fashion, right? To ensure the safety of the vehicle, uh, of course, of the passengers, if there are passengers. And, uh, uh, you know, you don't want things to fail because of a logical bug in the, concurrence, uh, in the concurrency system implementation. So Rask's focus on memory safety, low-level control, and performance uh, definitely made it a uh, you know the ideal choice for building such systems if there is one last thing that i can cover in this episode is the community and uh, um, you know the rust community is probably one of the best communities i've ever been involved with in my career rust has indeed a growing and dedicated community of developers who are constantly pushing the language forward and you know every week there is something new every two weeks in fact there is something new in in the rust compiler and uh, development is very active not only the community is always very uh, approachable uh, if i can say that um, it's always easy to uh, find someone who can help out uh, and uh, give some hints about the very last feature or the very last capabilities of the compiler uh, so that's also very important i you know programming and producing software is a human activity first of all you know before going down to the compiler and the machine um, and the community having an active community and also a, a an approachable community is very important for your mental health if i can say that if there is one uh, thing that uh, Rust is still lagging behind, is definitely um, the uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence uh, backends that are uh, not 100% available in the Rust programming language yet. Uh, I strongly believe this is a very temporary uh, situation. Uh, my biggest prediction that I do, and I did one uh, 20 years ago about Python, uh, you know, I have the feeling that Python would have become the language of choice for, um, you know, what we call artificial intelligence today and, you know, the deep learning community and the deep learning field of research. Uh, I, of course, I couldn't know uh, about deep learning back in the days, but I had this feeling of a programming language that was, you know, capable of fulfilling the requirements and the needs of the average developer in, you know, across different sectors. And that's exactly the same feeling that I have today with Rust. Um, because as I said in another, in another episode back in the days in this show, uh, Rust literally made my PhD in software security kind of obsolete, <laughs> uh, which is a good thing because it means that, um, you know, we are on the right track and we are improving um, in, in terms, you know, in fields like uh, programming languages. So uh, when I was, you know, effectively, uh, in fact, my PhD was about uh, developing countermeasures at the compiler level uh, against buffer overflows and uh, low-level uh, bugs, let's say, memory unsafety and all that stuff. Um, and 
the idea of my PhD was to um, operate at the level of the compiler in order to implement the countermeasure at the compiler level so that even if you wrote some, let's say, C or C++ code that uh, had that logical bug, had that bug, in fact, in, in the code, like a buffer overflow, the compiler could not only detect it, but also fix it. So that was the idea. And all this, of course, with Rust is no longer necessary because uh, Rust does not allow uh, a developer to write uh, or to uh, fall in the trap of uh, uh, buffer overflows and memory unsafety uh, situations, unless they explicitly do it um, you know, with the unsafe keyword. Uh, so you can still go banana <laughs> in Rust, uh, but you have to want it. Um, and that's the difference. That's the main difference. Like making a um, a buggy software in Rust is quite quite difficult in a way. It's something that you you truly want to do. Um, otherwise, the compiler is uh, always screaming at you. So uh, this change of paradigm of of of, of programming in fact, has invalidated, in a way, uh, my PhD, or, well, the, the findings of my PhD. Um, and again, I'm not mad. Uh, I'm, I'm actually very, very excited about this, because uh, today I embraced Rust in all the activities, all the programming activities that I do. Um, now, there is one thing that I still uh, have, I'm struggling with, which is machine learning and, and AI. And as I said, this is only a temporary situation, because... I'm already seeing more and more bindings uh, of uh, libraries in C and C++, machine learning and artificial intelligence libraries. The most, probably the most useful of, of all is Torch. Uh, there are bindings, there are Rust bindings for Torch, uh, as well as many others. There is a, a data manipulation crates like Polars. Uh, there is Apache Arrow, Data Fusion. Uh, there are very important databases um, uh, like bindings for RocksDB, as well as uh, a, a fully native Rust database like SLED, which is a very performant one, though uh, not super active in development. And there is much, much more, you know, things that even two years ago or less, uh, you know, they did not exist. And so these tools are growing. The ecosystem is getting more and more mature. So my prediction here is that we will see Rust playing a fundamental role in the AI and uh, machine learning ecosystem. Uh, that's what I feel, that's what I believe, and that's what I definitely will work for. So if you're still doubting about Rust, well, doubt no more and enjoy the journey. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, I'll uh, speak with you soon, of course. Uh, do not forget to jump to the Discord channel. You will find the link uh, in the, on the official website, datascienceathome.com. Speak with you next time. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.